the series that we've been started last uh, week, uh, short four series, uh, four week series entitled "The Truth About Change." Today we're going to be talking about the change of sanctification. I believe if you have a bulletin, there's some notes in there for you as well to keep track of the sermon and to uh, know how long it's going to be until dinner time. Okay, you can kind of see uh, based upon that a little bit, but don't trust it too much because some points are longer than others. So there's not much you can do about it. But uh, especially the last point, the last point is really, really, really long. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we saw last week that change is inevitable. It it happens in, in our lives no matter what we try to do to stop it. Uh, For everything, there is a season, the Bible tells us, and change must happen in order for those seasons to come. Many are resistant to change, but we need to just accept the change as a gift from God and and, uh, that he is trying to mold us into what he wants us to be. That's exactly what we want to talk about today, sanctification. Sanctification is the process by which God is changing us slowly into the image of Christ, into who God wants us to be, like Christ. We, have, we, are, when we are saved, we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are justified. And justification happens at that moment. We are legally declared justified. Uh, we are just as if we had never sinned. But then there's the other aspect of this that is the slow process while we are here on this earth. A gradual process to where we become more like what Christ wants us to be. As far as our record from in heaven, all of our sins are done away with. But as we all know, here on earth, we still work uh, on trying to do what is right. That process is called sanctification. Praise the Lord, one day, it's all going to be done for us. Amen? We're going to be changed, and uh, the uh, uh, mortality shall put on immortality. And we will be uh, like him for sure. And that process is called glorification. That will happen in an instant when Christ comes for us. But until then, we work day by day, to be like Christ. Sanctification is transformation. Verses 1 and 2 of this chapter that we've just read says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's reasonable for us to do this. He says, Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God doesn't want us to be conformed. He wants us to be transformed. And sanctification is transformation, not confirmation. Conforming. It is not a matter of conforming to what you think a Christian ought to be. No, we are transformed. First of all, we see that we are transformed by Number one, giving over. If we are going to be transformed, we have to come to the place to where we're willing to give over to the Lord's will. The Bible tells us, present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's an act of a defining moment of your giving over your will in the desire to accomplish his will. Verse 1, Paul is begging, beseeching his brethren, By the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That word that is translated mercies is an interesting word. Not uh, not the same word that's used many other times in the Bible that's translated mercy or mercies. It does mean mercy. Uh, But this word goes a little bit further even in its meaning. 
It, it, it specifically means a pity or compassion which one shows for the suffering of another. It specifically involves the suffering of another and the compassion that you have there. God's mercy sees our suffering, and his answer is, give me your life and let me transform it. That's his answer. Let me make it better. You just need to give it over to me. Sanctification will never, ever happen unless you give yourself over to Christ. I'm not talking about accepting Jesus as your Savior. I'm talking about the decision to yield your life to His Lordship. This is a decision that often comes after salvation. That's a disputed topic among Christians, uh, but I've seen it. People accept Jesus as their Savior, but not really understand what is involved in this life of living for Christ. Some seem to just naturally go, well, I'm just going to give it all to Him, and anything He says, I'll do. Some people kind of just like, I don't really know what to do. But there comes a point in the life of a Christian when they yield themselves and their whole lives to Christ and let Him do with what He wants. Once a Christian has gained some maturity and sees the need to be transformed into what God wants us to be, then that transformation can happen. Are you willing to give it all to God? To give it over? If you hold anything back, you'll not be able to see the full transformation that God wants to make in your life. Robert B. Monger described it best, I think, with his little booklet called By Heart, Christ's Home. He says, one evening I invited Jesus Christ into my heart. What an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He built a fire on the hearth and banished the chill. He started music where there had been silence. He filled the emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will. He says, in the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus Christ, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything that I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And in this little booklet, he takes him from room to room, and Jesus begins to do a work on his life. I didn't, I'm not reading the whole little booklet. It doesn't take long to read it, but, but I'm, reading, uh, I'm going to read a portion of it. A big portion, really. He says, the first room was the study, the library. And my home, this room was of the mind, is a very small room with very thick walls. But it is a very important room. In a sense, it is the control room of the house. He entered with me and looked around at the books on the bookcase and the magazines upon the table and the pictures upon the wall. As I followed his gaze, I became uncomfortable. Strangely, I had never felt self-conscious about this before. But now that he was looking at these things, I, I was embarrassed. Some books were there that his eyes were too pure to behold. On the table were a few magazines that a Christian had no business reading. And for the pictures on the walls, the imaginations and thoughts of my mind, some of these were shameful. Red-faced, I turned to him and I said, Master, I, I know that this room needs to be cleaned and made over. Will you help me to make it what it ought to be? 
Certainly, he said, I'm glad to help you. First of all, take all the things that you are reading and looking at that are not helpful, pure and good and true, and throw them out. Now put on the empty shelves the books of the Bible. Fill the library with scripture and meditate on it day and night. As for the pictures on the walls, we, you, have no, uh, you will have difficulty controlling these images. But I have something that will help. He gave me a full-size portrait of himself. Hang this centrally, he said, on the wall of the mind. From the study, he went into the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. He said, I spent a lot of time and hard work here trying to satisfy my wants. I said to him, this is my favorite room. I'm quite sure you'll be pleased with what we serve. He seated himself at the table with me and he asked, what is on the menu for dinner? Well, I said, my favorite dishes, money, academic degrees, and stocks with newspaper articles of fame and fortune as side dishes. These were the things I liked secular fare. When the food was placed before him, he said nothing, but I observed that he did not eat it. I said to him, Master, don't you care for this food? What is the trouble? He answered, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of the Father. Stop seeking your own pleasures, desires, and satisfaction. Seek to please him. That food will satisfy you. There at the table he gave me a taste of the joy of doing God's will. What flavor. There's no food like it in the world. It alone suffices. From the dining room, we walked into the living room. And this room was intimate and comfortable. I, I like this room. It had a fireplace and overstuffed chairs and a sofa. A quiet, a quiet atmosphere. He said, this is indeed a delightful room. Let's come here often. It's a secluded and quiet and we can have fellowship together. Well, as a young Christian, I was thrilled. I couldn't think of anything I would rather do than have a few minutes with Christ in close companionship. He promised, I will be here early every morning. Meet me here, and we'll start our day together. So morning after morning, I would come downstairs to the living room, and he would take a book from off the Bible, uh, off the bookcase, the book of the Bible, and we would open it and read it together. He would unfold to me the wonders of God's saving truths. My heart sang as he shared the love and the grace that he has towards me. These were wonderful times. However, little by little, under the pressure of many responsibilities, this time began to be shortened. Why? I'm not sure. I thought I was too busy to spend regular time with Christ. This was not intentional, you understand. I... It just happened that way. Finally, not only was the time shortened, but I began to miss days now and then. Urgent matters would crowd out the quiet time of conversation with Christ. I remember one morning, I'm rushing downstairs, eager to be on my way. I paused past the living room and noticed the door was open. Looking in, I saw the fire in the fireplace and Jesus was sitting there. Suddenly, in dismay, I thought to myself, he's my guest. I, I invited him into my heart. He, he has come to be my, uh, come as my Savior and my friend, and yet I'm neglecting him. 
I stopped and I turned and I hesitantly went in. With downcast gaze, I, I said, Master, forgive me. Have you been here all of these mornings? Yes, he said. I told you I would be here every morning to meet with you. Remember, I love you and I've redeemed you at great cost. I value your friendship. Even if you cannot keep the quiet time for your own sake, do it for mine. The truth that Christ desires my companionship, that he wants me to be with him and waits for me, has done more to transform my quiet time with God than any other single fact. Don't let Christ wait alone in the living room of your heart. But every day find time when, you're, when with your Bible and in prayer you can meet together with him. He went from other rooms, the workbench, where representing our works for Christ, the rec room and what we do for recreation. And then he says, one day I found him waiting for me at the door. An arresting look was in his eye as I entered, and he said to me, there is a particular odor on the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there on the hall landing, just, just a few feet square. In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I didn't want anyone to know about. Certainly, I, I did not want Christ to see them. I knew they were dead and rotting things left over from my old life. I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit that they were even there. Reluctantly, I went up with him. And as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger. He pointed to the door. I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I, I had given him access to the library, to the dining room, to the living room, to the work room. And now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I will go out on the porch. Then I saw him start down the stairs. When one comes to know and love Christ, the worst thing that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his fellowship. I had to give in. To give you the key, I'll give you the key, I said sadly. But you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't got the strength to do it. Just give me the key, he said. Authorize me to take care of that closet and I will. With trembling fingers, I passed the key to him. He took it. He walked over to the door. He opened it, entered, took out all the putrefying stuff that was rotting in there and threw it away. Then he cleaned the closet, painted it fresh, and was done in a moment's time. Oh, what victory and release to have that dead thing out of my life. A thought came to me. Lord, is there any chance that you would take over the management of the whole house and operate it for me as you did this closet? 
Would you take the responsibility to keep my life as it ought to be? His face lit up as he replied, I'd love to. That is what I want to do. You cannot be a victorious Christian in your own strength. Let me do it through you and for you. That is the way. But, he added, I am just a guest. I have no authority to proceed since the property is not mine. Dropping to my knees, I said, Lord, you have been a guest and I have been the host. From now on, I am going to be the servant. You are going to be the owner and master. Running as fast as I could to the strong box, I took out the title deed to the house, describing its assets and liabilities, location and situation. I eagerly signed the house over to him alone uh, for time and eternity. Here, I said, here it is. All that I am and all that I have forever. Now you run the house. I'll just remain with you as a servant and friend. Things are different since Jesus Christ has settled down and has made his home in my heart. What a great, ter- what a great parable there, isn't it? What a great image of what Christ wants to do in your heart and life if you'll just give over to him. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Secondly, I want you to notice today, not only do we need to give over, but secondly, we see that you are transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing of your mind. This is the practical aspects of sanctification. This is the part that we play in the work of sanctification. Truthfully, it's always and only him that does the work. But there is a part where we play to allow him and give him the access. But transformation happens when we allow our minds to be renewed by him. How can we do this? How do we allow him to renew our minds? For centuries, theologians have called this process Christian disciplines. There are practices that every uh, person needs to practice regularly in order to see growth in the areas of sanctification. It's not a smorgasbord where you can pick and choose which ones you want to participate in. Every Christian life ought to have a regular practice of these disciplines in their lives. These are areas where we need to discipline ourselves and yield to God. There are ten regularly accepted Christian disciplines, and I'm going to go quickly through them. Number one, Bible reading. Letter A, I should say. Bible reading. If we want to see consistent growth in our Christian life, we must be consistently feeding upon God's words. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If we, got, or if we are ever going to see where God wants us to go and how he wants us to be, we're going to have to shed the light of his word upon our path. Romans 15, 4 says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. God has given us his word 
to help us through this life. People say, I wish this life came with an instruction manual. It did. We just have to do the work. Oh, we like it nowadays when all the instruction manuals are online where you can bring it into a PDF and search for what you're looking for. You don't have to take the time to read the whole manual, right? But the Christian life is a life of work. We have to work for it. What does your Bible reading schedule look like? As we come closer to the close of this year, how have you done this year? I don't say that to judge. I don't say that to, con- to condemn or anything else. But I do say this. Don't wait until January to commit to this discipline. Amen? If you've left some of it behind, pick it back up today. Start again today. So Bible reading. Number two, the second discipline we see is Bible study. This goes a step further than just reading. We dig to the, into the Word of God, not just to read across the surface, but to find the truths, dig in to find them. Joshua 1.8 tells us, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do all, uh, uh, do all that, according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt have the, make thy way prosperous. Then thou shalt have good success. You want to have a prosperous life, a successful life? Now, it won't all be roses. You'll have some thorns too, okay? But God will bless. Then you need to study the word of God. You need to meditate on what we read. Cross-reference. Look up words that you don't fully understand. Have a dictionary beside you. Say, well, I understand these words. I know what these words are. You might be surprised. Look up some of the bigger words, even if you think you know what it is. And you may see a spark of something that you didn't quite understand the nuances of that word. And it can open up a window of something huge in your life, in your walk with God. Bible reading, Bible study. Number three, Bible memorization. We must have ammunition to uh, to carry with us into the battle that we face every day. Jesus fought the devil and his temptations with the word of God. And so must we. But we must be prepared. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's God's word hid in our heart that's going to have, help us. We can't depend upon having the physical Bible with us. Because we cannot always have it physically with us. It's easier now with our phones. But how many of you when facing a temptation say, hold on, devil. (laughs) What was that verse? (laughs) Google, tell me what you know. You need it now. You need to have it hid deep into your heart and ready to be used. Psalm 37, 31 says, the law of his God is in his heart. None None of his steps shall slide. I want that to describe my life, amen? Jesus said in John 15, 7, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Bible memorization is vital to Christian growth. Say, but I, I just can't memorize. Bull. Baloney. How else can I say it? Everyone can memorize. It may take you longer. It may take you longer, but that's okay. You just need to memorize God's word. Carry it with you on three by five cards, on whatever you can. 
memorize God's word. Bible reading, Bible study, Bible memorization. Number four, letter D, prayer. Do you have a regular, purposeful time of prayer? Having a regular time where you talk with the Lord and bring your care and concerns and praises and thanksgiving is vital to Christian growth. No marriage would ever grow and relationship would ever grow if both spouses didn't communicate. If it's only a one-sided communication, there would be no growth in that relationship. Bible reading is God communicating with us, and prayer is our side, our communicating with Him. It helps in so many ways, in so many areas of our lives, from burdens to anxiety. Even secular psychology that does not understand or accept Christ understands the benefits of prayer. How much more should his children understand? Philippians 4, 6 tells us, Be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto him. If you're struggling with cares of this world, with the anxieties of this world, give it to him in prayer. He will help. Letter E, generosity. Bible reading, Bible study, Bible memorization, prayer. Generosity is a spiritual discipline that we need to practice. Generosity comes naturally to no one. We are selfish creatures. Now some have a motivational gift of giving. And whereas they are yield, they, as they yield to the Lord, they are motivated to give more easily. It may be easier for them, but everyone needs to be willing to get out of themselves and become generous. Psalms 112 verse 5 says, A good man showeth favor and lendeth. He will guide his affairs with discretion. Matthew 25, verse 35 and 36, Jesus says, For I was an hungered, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Down to verse 40, it says, And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto me, unto one of these least of these my brethren, you have done it unto me. Generosity is so important. We need to exercise the spiritual discipline of generosity. Letter F, fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship is a spiritual discipline that we all need to practice. We need to face this life together the way that God designed us to do it. I'm an introvert. I don't know if you realize that or not, because I'm up here standing and talking to people. I'm saying no one can do that if they're an introvert. But the truth is, I'm an introvert by nature. It doesn't mean that I can't be outgoing if I need to be. It's just not my natural way. I get charged back up with my time alone. But many introverts use that personal trait, personality trait, as an excuse to seclude themselves from other people. And that's not God's plan. It's an expectation of God that we fellowship with one another. 1 John 1.7 tells us, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. 
He talks all throughout 1 John about our fellowship with each other and with the Lord and the Father. Fellowship is a part of the Christian life. We're walking in the light. We will have fellowship one with another. We need one another. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. We need one another to help us knock off the rough edges and dicks in our steel. We need the spiritual discipline of fellowship. Letter G, fasting. We often think of fasting as being only from food. That's immediately where our mind goes when we talk about it. And talking about on fasting when we're about to feast is probably not the greatest idea, but it is still a spiritual discipline that we need to partake in. The Bible speaks of different forms of fasting, though, including marital love. 1 Corinthians 7, 5 tells us, Defraud ye not one of another, except it be without cons- with consent for a time that ye may give yourselves to fa- fasting and prayers. So fasting can be all kinds of different areas of our life. But there are many examples of fasting from food in the Bible. But we must be careful that this is not done for show. In fact, it ought to be as much as possible to be done in private. Matthew 6, verse 16 through 18 tells us, Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto thee, they have their rewards. These are people that were walking the streets rubbing dirt or something on their face so that it looks like their faces were swollen or sucking in their cheeks so they look skinnier. And, you know, and uh, doing this and going, oh, I'm so hungry. Oh, I'm fasting. No, I'm okay. No, don't feed me. I'm fasting, you know, and things like this. Verse 17, he says, but thou, when thou fastest, fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto the Father which seeth in secret. And thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Fasting is a very important part of the spiritual disciplines. Its focus and purpose is sacrifice. What am I willing to sacrifice to hear from the Lord? To grow in the Lord? Letter H. Silence. Introverts love that. Silence. With the business of this world around us and the busyness all around us, we need to be willing to pull away and practice silence. Most people today cannot live in quietness because they do not want to enjoy what they're left with themselves. The spiritual discipline of silence is not a focus on self, though. It's a purposeful focus on God. Psalm 46 verse 10 tells us, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still and know that I am God. An important part of silence is Bible meditation. Meditating on his word. New Age, New Age meditation wants you to remove everything from your mind. But biblical meditation is the filling of your mind with scripture. It's a polar opposites. Pondering it. Mulling it over. Silently listening to the word of God in your heart and mind. And allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you through it. 
Silence is a very important part of the Christian life. Letter I, simplicity. Simplicity. This is the intentional getting rid of things in our lives that hinder our walk with God. Simplicity in homemaking is getting rid of clutter around the house. Simplicity in your Christian disciplines is getting rid of the clutter that tries to distract you from your walk with God. Every one of us ought to fast from screens from time to time. Amen? Our phones, our televisions, our computers, our tablets. Just walk away and spend time with God in solitude and quiet. Walk away from the cares of this world and simply focus on God. Jesus warns us that we cannot be doubly focused. Matthew 6, 22 through 24 says, The light of the body is in the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in thee, be darkness. How great is that darkness? Then he goes right in and says, No man can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Paul learned of this spiritual discipline in his life as well. In Philippians 4, he tells us, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Excuse me. Verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Then the letter J, the tenth spiritual discipline we can welcome into our lives is celebration. This is not the spiritual discipline of partying. However, it could include that. The children of Israel were given a number of feasts where they would gather to celebrate different remembrances. Each month we would uh, we come to solemn celebration when we come to the Lord's table. We do not have streamers or party favors, and yet we do celebrate the freedom of the, and, and salvation that we have in Christ because of his sacrifice on the cross. Even as we celebrate special holidays before the Lord, we rejoice in what God has done for us. We celebrate Christ's coming at Christmas. We celebrate with thanksgiving every November for all that God has given us. We celebrate the resurrection and the new life promised to us at Easter. God commands us to rejoice and to celebrate. Philippians 4.4 tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. We can do so as we celebrate all that God has done for us and all that he is for us. God changes us through sanctification. As we yield to him and give over to his transforming power, we are transformed by the renewing of our minds through regular practice of these spiritual disciplines in our life. Let's take a moment and do just that right now. As the men come forward to prepare for communion. Let's take just a moment to remember what he has done for us. Christ paid quite a price. Jesus established this time for us to be able to celebrate our salvation in him. 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Bible tells us how we are to celebrate this. She says, For I have received of the Lord 